Hi, and welcome to another podcast of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie. I'm Alan. And we're switching roles, but we're still married. Yay! Today, we have two amazing guests on our show. And you know what's so shocking? They're married. (laughs) What a coincidence! Uh, Brett and Rachel Katz-Cooper, thank you for being on Marriage on a Tightrope. Thank y'all for having us. Now, Rachel, I got to ask you, is it, do you like to verbally go by Rachel Katz Cooper? Or is that like a, I'm going to put my maiden name in my Facebook profile so people know it's me? The latter one, yeah. Or the, I don't, I never understood that comment, the latter. Okay, it's, I, I, it's not even my legal name. Rachel Elise Cooper is my middle, um, like my legal right. name. Yeah. And so Facebook for Facebook stuff. And it's a good conversation starter for business. <laughs> Cats. I, oh, where did that come from? Are you German? Are you Dutch? Are you Jewish? <laughs> well, and I, I think it like rolls off the tongue. Rachel Katz Cooper. It feels very Southern <laughs> as well. It does. It, like I even want to say it with the Southern accent, but I don't you have to. Do. Right, Rachel Katz Cooper. <laughs> oh gosh, that's great. We're, getting, we're already getting. Well, I'm turning on southern it. accents because I can do it. <laughs> oh, you bring it out, girl. This whole episode. Uh, so Brett and Rachel. Something cool about them is they are moderators on our Facebook page. They were the first moderators. They were, and we're so happy. So thank you for all your work that you've been doing and continue to do for the Facebook group. It's been great. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and it's been fun. And Brett's had people reach out to him. And so, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, we want to get to know you guys and let everybody who's listening out there and tightrope land, tightropeville, tightropetopia, to to listen to, uh, get to know Rachel and Brett. So um, we've teased a little bit that you're in the South. So where do you guys live? Brett, how about you? What was the question again? Oh, did we cut out a little bit? No, where, do, where do you guys live? Oh, uh, we're, we're from South Carolina. We live in a small town near the capital. It's called Irmo. Irmo. It's even, Irmo. even that southern. Irmo. Irmo. And the capital of South Carolina, as we all know, is... Charles. Columbia. Not Columbia. Oh, they were going to say Charleston. Oh, Charleston? No. She no. No. I would never... Raleigh, that's North Carolina. No. Um, I don't. What is it? Columbia. Columbia. <laughs> we fail. I think Christopher yeah. Columbus. Right. Oh, I don't. But he's out of favor now. People hate him. Anyway, okay. Let's get back to uh, <laughs> get back to your story. Internet so, uh, we would uh, love to just understand a little bit about where you grew up. Uh, given your accents, I assume not too far off from where you are currently living. We'll see. And um, yes, we got southern accents. <laughs> uh, if you know uh, Brett and Rachel through Facebook, um, you know that Rachel uh, talks more than Brett. So we're going to have Brett start. <laughs> Brett, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? You can sprinkle in kind of the the church stuff, but just let us get to know you uh, a little bit and how how your upbringing was. Okay. Well, uh, I was born in Augusta, Georgia, but my family lived in a small town and right, right on the border in South Carolina called Aiken. So it was a small town. I grew up until I was, I don't know, three or four and moved down to Florida. 
And when I was five, I moved back up to uh, where I'm at now in, in Irmo. So Okay. So you've been, there. I've been there ever since. Wow. That's great. That's good. And uh, how many uh, siblings you got? I got uh, four siblings, three older brothers. No, two older brothers, one, one younger brother, and I'm a twin. I have a twin sister. Oh, very cool. That's great. So, yeah. They're not maternal. Twin <laughs> sister, they're not maternal. No, not identical twins. I would. <laughs> not, not identical. They're uh, fraternal. That's great. Talk to us a little bit about your your upbringing in the church. Whole family born and raised. Yeah, all family born born and raised. Uh, I don't know generations on both sides of my family go pretty far back. I think on my dad's side it goes to I don't know the earliest converts to the church in the south. I think you you probably know my family history better than me. And then uh, on my mom's side, yeah, it goes far back, I think, to the Nauvoo days. Uh, they were pioneers. A lot of polygamists my, my, too. Yeah, a lot of my my mom's uh, ancestry. They all crossed the plains, and yeah, there's diary records from that. I wish I could give you more details. <laughs> I'm sure she probably, if she listens to this, she'd be very disappointed. <laughs> you weren't planning on a having the journals ready for a mixed faith marriage. <laughs> I know. That's fine. So, yeah. A lot of them were, uh, European converts. So the earliest missionaries go out to, um, England. And I think I have some Norwegian in me as well. Yeah. They converted, crossed over the ocean, crossed over the plains all the way to Utah. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. And so did you grow up in a very traditional home? Tell us about what your family life was like with the church. Uh, yeah, attend every Sunday. Uh, <laughs> I think every family, the tradition is attempt family home evening every mm-hmm. week for mm-hmm. the most part. I mean, I wouldn't say 100% faithful, but, you know, you know how it is with most families. Like, sure, sure. Try, try, try. It's always a hurdle every week doing family home evening. Especially with five kids. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is served many callings. Dad served many callings. Bishop. He's yeah. He was bishop. Uh, got released a year ago. Through the whole faith crisis, he was our bishop. Yeah. You live in the same ward oh, wow. as them. Yes. That's yep. great. Well, we'll dig into the faith crisis <laughs> with you as a bishop because yeah. I could see that going either way. <laughs> but um, get, take us take us on your kind of your church involvement, Brett, up leading into your marriage. Okay. If if there's anything worth, worth talking about, we'd love to hear about that. Well, yeah. um, You know, I went through the um, priesthood ranks, deacon, teacher, priest, served a mission down in Argentina. Ah. 2010 to 2012. And uh, yeah, I guess that's, Good experience, and how did you like your mission? It was a... Can of worms. It was a whole bunch of uh, ups and a whole bunch of downs. How about that? Oh, wow. Give us... We're going to be positive. The highs and lowest of the lows is the uh, the phrases. Two ups, and then we'll go one down. (laughs) (laughs) One down. Two ups. Well, now now you're putting me on the spot again. Um, Let me think here. Um, We could edit out any any silence. It's all good. Yeah, that's fine. 
Let me think. Here. I know you're down. What? I know you're down. Well, which down is that? Well, you have to come up with your own down. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever stands out, you can share. It's been really nice recently. Like Brett has never talked about his mission until like almost the past three months, and he started mm. really digging into the. He's only talked about some of like the highlights and and just nothing super super major, nothing even super negative, and then. Here recently, he's really delved into a lot of the pain that's probably been residual that led to a faith crisis. And oh. so it's been really, yeah. it's been eye-opening for me, but I'm sure it's been therapeutic for him to be able to finally get that off of his chest. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about a little bit later, but I could say pretty much the beginnings of my faith crisis started on mission. Mm. Yeah, some of the highs I could think about was... Um, we had this investigator who was, uh, he had a work accident injury and he was paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, we found him just by knocking doors and stuff. Uh, a little bit later on, after a couple lessons, I took the ward mission leader out there and, and taught him. And that morning we had uh, read over kind of practice sort of a, uh, an FHE lesson that we're going to do for another family, but we go into uh, his house and I felt like the scriptures that we pre- prepared for would work perfectly f- for this guy. His name was Martine. And uh, I can't remember the the exact passage. I think it was in Helaman, but basically it was, uh, we, we pulled out the scriptures and we're reading through it. And at one point, the the passage said something like uh through christ uh all things are possible and uh, i remember looking at martin i said you know what's what's the one thing that you desire most in life and he said i wish to be able to walk again and i remember uh telling him well through christ all things are possible and i promise you Mar- martin you you will walk again and just the spirit was so strong in that lesson and he broke down crying. Well, we all broke down crying. Uh, it was just a beautiful moment. And, you know, I still look look back on that and, you know, get chill bumps thinking about it. It was a beautiful moment. And so That's awesome. I really left a good good impression on him. I don't think I really saw him much after that. He, he was difficult to find, but, you know, he happened to be, you know, there that that one time and i happen to be prepared for it so well, we'll assume that he's he's uh, out and about walking around argentina somewhere right yeah he's walking he's playing soccer you know, <laughs> well i hope that you know uh as a as a christian many believe you know through christ you'll be saved and i hope that he can take from that belief the idea that not only is he going to be saved but he'll be able to walk again whether in this life or the next, that's still some hope for him. Yeah. That's great. I love that. So you went on the mission, you um, have a, have mixed feelings about how it went and you come home and maybe we should go to to Rachel. Rachel, do you want to, why don't let, let's talk to you about your upbringing, your, how you grew up and everything. And then we'll um, go until you guys meet. And then we can talk about that. Okay. It has to do with a sexy pirate. <laughs> this is about PG-13. Teaser. <laughs> Keep listening to the sexy pirate. Okay, he, okay go ahead, Rachel. Listening. 
So, yeah, so I am from Blythewood, South Carolina, and that's not usually how we say it. It's more like Blythewood. Blythewood. Like pull it out, you know, <laughs> and it really is. It was a one stoplight town until maybe 10, 15 years ago, and now it's not. It's definitely gotten bigger. But um, so, yeah, I'm from Blythewood, South Carolina, which is about 45 minutes from where we live now. Um, my family has been in Blythewood since like the 1700s. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm a Southerner through and through. Um, my mom, um, just going off kind of flowing through, just my mom is a lifetime member um, and her family were among the first to build the church in our area in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, actually my grand, my grandpa, my grandpa's brother, was the first bishop um, in Ridgeway, which is our, which is where our ward was growing up. Um, so he, ba- the, the, the church history for our area all revolves around the, the Branham family and my family. And it, it's pretty awesome how, how enriched it was and, and how different it is hearing about like the Utah stories versus like the Southern stories, because there was a good many, like the church burned down and there was, there was a lot of, a lot of, persecution in the South Mm. uh, to be Mormon. And there still is. Um, But um, so yeah, my mom was, was raised in a very traditional home. Her dad was a, um, was a contractor and a builder and he built, he, they went on a church building mission. Um, And so they went and built churches around, around the country. And so that was really cool. And my, our young, our oldest son is named after him. My, my mom's grandpa, uh, my mom's dad. but um, so my dad, that's kind of where the interesting story comes in. My dad is actually a convert. He converted when he was in the Air Force and he drove this like really, really cool van with flames on it, shag carping in the back, <laughs> full bar, full bar in the back of the van. Like he was all out. <laughs> and so, and his family could not understand when he joined the church and he destroyed that van and he got rid of it and, and started over. They just could not understand because his mom was raised Catholic. They're all in they're, My dad was born in Holland. And so they're all from, from over there. So my, my grandma was born Catholic and raised Catholic. My grandpa was Jewish and was a Holocaust survivor. Mm. Wow. And, he was raised. So my dad was raised Lutheran because who better to teach the old Testament to the Lutherans than the Jewish guy. So my grandpa <laughs> taught Sunday school at the Lutheran church. Um, and then daddy converted to Mormonism. Um, I think he was when he was 21, some, somewhere around in there. Um, and so my, my dad was stationed at Shaw his, he met my mom at a church dance and there's that them. And um, so it was, you know, growing up, I don't think we were, I heard, I've never heard the term orthodox as much as I have now, <laughs> right. but I don't think we were super, super orthodox um, in the sense that, I don't know, my, I think my dad growing up the way that he grew up allowed him a little bit more nuance than, um, than, than not, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was in young women and I, and I've served a lot of callings as well. And is there exactly. anything that your dad um, did that you felt kind of set you apart from other like Orthodox Mormons or did you just not notice anything was different? Well, to not, I don't really censor myself a lot lately, but 
and I hope my mom doesn't get offended for me coming out, but my dad was not necessarily like I, I've, I've made my dad a saint all of these years. And I guess through the faith crisis and everything, it's finally allowed me to admit how my childhood actually was. Mm. And so my dad was not the nicest guy and he, he was super nice, but not necessarily always nice at home. Mm. And um, so, and it was his upbringing, you know, my, my being anyone that comes from a European descent, like direct European descent knows how strict that kind of lifestyle is. And so my dad kind of brought it into our house. And so when he got angry, he had to take it out on somebody. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I think maybe that's where the nuance came in. Uh-huh. <laughs> it wasn't fairly always super Christ-like in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was the first one to let me watch The Patriot. <laughs> good movie. Best good movie. movie. And it's rated R. So my, you know, my dad had his collection of R-rated movies and yeah, that was yeah. That was a pretty big one. You know, we never really censored our language as much. So there was definitely a lot of colorful language in our house. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, but daddy was still, you know, he was he he served as uh uh, state clerk and he served in the high council and so he, he's, he's still a good guy yeah of course yeah you can cut some of that out if you want <laughs> no it's all good all right so take us up to the point now you're you're back from your mission brett I know how you met. and i want to hear about the pirate so why don't you go ahead oh, and yeah the pirate why don't you talk about that i'll do a blurb about the pirate and then he can take over okay so he got home in january of 2012 yeah, but I did a semester at BYU. He did a semester at BYUI, and he came back, and he was crushing on this girl who dressed him up like Hook from Once Upon a Time. It was, it was totally her suggestion. I never hair. Um, he's totally yeah. Hook. Yeah. Once upon For those of you can't, that can't see Brett, he, he <laughs> looks like... He, he could a be a thick, luscious beard. Yeah, that's right. He could be, he yeah, could be a pirate. I'm a little bit longer right now, but if I had it short like uh, the guy from Once Upon a Time, <laughs> apparently I look like him. So she did him up with eyeliner and everything. And so I was eyeing him, and he asked me to dance. It was a YSA dance, Halloween, obviously. And so he had come back, I guess, from that semester, and he was about to start at USC. And so he was there, and tried all I could to get him to talk to me and after we danced and all this stuff, but he was too crushing on the other girl. So I, I, it wasn't time. So I went and dated <laughs> another guy <laughs> in between that time. And then a few months later, uh, we all had the same friends. YSA ward. I've heard rumors that they want to get rid of it, but it totally works. We met in the YSA ward yes. mm-hmm. and we all had similar friends and he was dating another girl. And you were still dating. No, nope, by the right? time you were ready to break up with her, I was, I was already done well, with him. Well, he was done with me. If you want to be, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> so yeah. So um, one night that there was just, there was some, his friend was in town. He, his friend lives in St. George and he was in town and I knew that if I told his friend that I liked him, that it would get back to Brett somehow. I'm not the most shy person, but I wanted it to be a little subtle at least. So, and I'm pretty forward. So I whispered to him and one other guy and I was like, y'all tell Brett, I like him. Okay. 
<laughs> and that's kind of how it went down. And then from then on out, that was at a movie night. And it all happened that same night. And his arm ended up around me. We were watching Pirates of the Caribbean. More pirates. Oh, again with the pirates. Please tell me you had a pirate-themed wedding. <laughs> we had a Mormon-themed wedding. Okay. <laughs> so the movie night went on, and then we had a bowling night, and then finally he caught on that I actually liked him, and he asked me out on a date. And he yeah. planned this whole scavenger hunt all around Columbia, it's and it was 100 degrees hunt. outside. It was in August. But we still did it, and had fun. It and you know it. I had I was wearing the wrong shirt, so I had a big sweat mark on my armpit. <laughs> the best thing you could have gone on a first date was wear the right shirt that it shows sweat all the way down to your hips. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the South. Gotta love the South. So what year were you married then? Twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Right at the end. I actually it was really cool. We um that same year so we had our first date and then no I started at my job that I'm at now and then I then I started dating him and so it all kind of our futures together all started in August of 2013 <laughs> and, yeah. and and tell us I mean Rachel what do you do and Brett what do you do um so yeah so um well I wanted to say we got married December 27th Two days after Christmas. Oh, oh wow. my gosh. Did your birthday is December 30th. <gasps> so did your parents one trip. They were, they were one they like, trip. oh man, December so we weddings are hard. Christmas anniversary and birthday within five days of each other. Yay. That was, great. that was my idea. I thought we needed to get married pretty quick. We dated for two months before, three months before we got engaged and we're married in two months. So Short I had the dress before I even had a ring on my finger. <laughs> yep, I was ready. I, pr- I, was I proposed to her without a ring. Yep. Oh, the proposal. The yeah, the proposal. Okay. So, <laughs> so I brought, so I had this really spiritual experience. My dad died in 2009. Mm-hmm. And so I had this really spiritual experience about his, his decision to actually, I, I felt that it was his decision to actually die, um, to make a sacrifice for me to be able to come back to the church. In 2009, I was, whew, I was bad. I was really bad. I was, I was, I have a very rebellious spirit by nature. And so 2009 was a really bad year. I was in a really bad car accident and that I should have died. And then my brother came home from his mission And then my dad died. So there was a lot going on. And so I journaled a lot. And so I journaled about this experience, this vision that I had of my dad. And I'd never shared it with Brett. So I figured it was was Halloween as well. There's a lot of Halloween Halloween? stuff. So there was a Halloween party going on at my home ward in Ridgeway. And so my dad is buried with like within a few minutes of the church. So like, let's go to the graveyard and let's go to the cemetery and sit down on a blanket. And we'll read, I'll read you my experience that I had. Oh my gosh, that's still probably one of the most spiritual experiences I've had was reading that journal entry to Brett. And then like our foreheads, we were sitting crisscross applesauce, Indian style on the ground facing each other and our foreheads were touching. And then he said, I said, Rachel, at least cats, would you marry me? And it was so sweet. 
<laughs> Wait, so did you have the ring or was it just like no, spur the of the moment? Spur of the moment. I was just as surprised as her. It just felt, I mean, it just felt right. It was, it was a spiritual experience. We were connecting and I felt like, I, I had felt this previously that, you know, Rachel was, you know, someone that could be my wife. And yeah, when we were sitting down there and she was sharing this with me, I felt, yeah, she's going, she's going to be my wife. She's a good one. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, like uh, I asked her and then I realized, oh man, I don't have a ring. It was, it was after that. And I was like, oh man, we don't have a ring. And remember, but, <laughs> we were going to award social right after that. Yeah, and right. so we, we had like said, we we're not going to really tell anybody until we have the ring. And I'm like geeking out because like, I'm engaged now and we're going to talk to my family. Cause when I say family ward, like I'm related to like 80% of the people in this world. <laughs> so I went straight to my mom and I'm like, guess what? Guess what? And I tell her and she pulls up my hand and she's like, where's the ring? I'm like, I'm like that, that's the I don't have it. I don't have it yet, but it's going to happen. And we had just gone through this with another guy where he, where we were planning on getting married and all this stuff and it didn't happen. And she was like, so she had kind of deflated the whole, the whole ex engagement experience. I was like, no, it's actually happening. And I'm going to go buy a dress this week. And I was for real. I was going to go buy a dress that week. And I did. I went and bought a dress before I had a ring, picked out all my bridesmaids, told them what to wear, told, announced it. Everything was fine. And then when we announced it on Facebook, I, it was like, we're getting married in 42 days. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. It escalated quickly. How many kiddos you guys have? We have two boys. One is four. He just celebrated his birthday uh, Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then the other is two. And he celebrated his birthday about a month ago. Yep. That's great. We just went to Disney World celebrating Buddy's birthday. Oh, yeah. that sounds like the best birthday ever. It was. It was great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and since it was just us and you know, the boys, we went at their pace. Yeah. Except for the mo morning. We still got up for rope drop. <laughs> <laughs> got to do the rope drop. That's how you get all the rides in at the beginning. It's, it's true. What if you do you the extra magic the hours? Down. You have to be at the bus stop an hour and 15 minutes early. So not only did we get to the to Magic Kingdom at 7, we had to be at the bus stop at 545. <sighs> oh, man. That oh, is true love gosh. of Disney. Alan. Well, Okay. He was awake for it. He said, Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so neat. Well, um, Brett, why don't you take us through a little bit? Um, you, you, you teased at some of the things like about your mission and how your faith crisis really just, there were a few things there that, that started it. And then why don't you take us through some of those things and then um, to where you start digging in? So do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So um, I go on the mission. Well, no, I, I'm not sure if I would say Ijukides. Let me think. Um, it's like in the MTC, they teach you missions going to be a certain way. You go, uh, mission work's going to be a certain way. Uh, as long as you're obedient, you're going to see success. Uh, you can baptize as many as you want. I remember hearing that. Going, going into the mission, um, our mission president was very strong into things like knocking doors, basically. We call them contacts. 
Alan, if if you've knocked doors on your mission, yeah. Katie went too. Oh yeah, y'all y'all both met on mission, right? We both knocked doors. Yeah, yeah. yeah fun, right? Knocking wasn't as big as street contacts, but yes, we we feel it. Knocking doors, street contacts, it's all you know counted together. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. Is you know, it's kind of monotonous, and uh, I feel like it's a kind of a time filler. Anyway, yeah, it's very difficult, and uh, you know, I'm kind of an introverted person, so you know, going and knocking doors and talking to strangers is difficult to begin with, but then doing it in another language is even harder. <laughs> so yeah, I go into the mission field, and my trainer, uh, he's a great guy, uh, super intelligent. Uh, read all these uh, church history books, just very well-versed in church history. I think he's from uh, St. George or a small town from St. St. George close by. Um, and he, uh, he would, he would listen to podcasts to kind of like, I don't know, break the monotony of the mission. I could tell that, you know, he was closer to the end of his uh, mission and he was, you know, breaking the rules, listening to podcasts and they were Mormon themed podcasts and they were from all these different types. I, I couldn't name you uh, half the ones that he listened to, but uh, one of them was a uh, guy that was interviewing a historian, uh, a historian that got excommunicated. And um, the, the historian's name stuck out. And I didn't know what the podcast was until after the mission, but it was Mormon stories. <laughs> and it was John DeLynn interviewing, interviewing, um, oh, yeah, it was uh, John DeLynn interviewing, um, Michael D. One, Michael Quinn? No, September 6th. Um, Paul Toscano? Yes, Paul Toscano. Paul, yeah. yeah. Originally, it was Paul Toscano's name that stuck out. I thought it was Paul Toscano's podcast. It's actually John DeLynn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they talked about certain things that were difficult in a way that was so matter of fact and so out of my understanding of the church it just it was a little bit jarring like uh, an easy one would be like the seer stone for example they just talked about oh yeah and joseph you know translated the the book mormon with seer stone and it's like wait what like i i had never heard anything about that and asking my trainer that, he goes, oh, yeah, like, you know, I knew that. And I'm like, well, nobody told me. You know, how come I never, no, nobody's told me and never says it anywhere in the, in the preach my gospel. Anyway, that wasn't like, that wasn't a shelf item. It was just more of, of introducing me to the idea of church history. And there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And it was the beginnings of, oh, wow, I really don't know a lot of my own church. And really, it gave me a thirst to study church history. It was, it gave me a drive for it. The things that he talked about on it, I really liked listening to and just thinking it over and just digesting on it. And like, I wanted more. And I felt like on the mission, you're so isolated from a lot of outside information. You're given, you know, the mission uh, library and pamphlets and, and, uh, you can get on to LDS.org, but there's just not much resources to really dig into, you know, the church that you're serving 24-7, basically. So, yeah, that, that was with my trainer. Uh, a little bit later on, I met with another uh, 
well, I was paired with another missionary. He had um, very similar mentality as me. He was very interested in just talking about doctrinal things in a very candid way. We we just really clicked together. Like we we could talk about anything and not fear like judgments. You know, from whatever idea we had, if we postulated some sort of you know idea hypothesis on doctrine, you know, I wouldn't worry about him being like, well, that's silly. Elder, like, don't talk about that. No, he was just very open and very understanding. And we really clicked together. And so <laughs> at one point, we noticed, you know, in DNC, it would reference history of the church by B.H. Roberts. And so we're like, you know what, let's go, let's go print this off. And so we found a text file of all seven volumes of history of the church. <laughs> on, <laughs> online, the mission. On, on the mission. And we printed it out. And... Yeah, the store owner wasn't happy that we were printing 300 pages. Of, <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, we, we paid a little bit for that. But, um, but, yeah, so we'd sit down and, like, you know, our comp study time was uh, reading through history of the church and just, like, highlighting things and just, you know, man, I never knew about this. And, oh, yeah, well, what about this over here? And, yeah, it was it was really fun. Like, I really enjoyed that time with him that's yeah, that, that really kind of a, neat because yeah, most missionaries really good, right? <laughs> don't have the yeah they just don't have well i think it's more so now they have the opportunity to do so because there's just media but back when we were serving i mean we didn't have we didn't have we podcasts were, or no. ipods or no podcasts I mean, were so, oldies we're very old. strange <laughs> well i'll tell you this my trainer was the only one that listened to podcasts and no no other uh, companion that I have that would listen to podcasts. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting seeing that, you know, the, in the information age, like, you know, I read in the scriptures, oh, it's citing this source. Oh, let me go check out that source. And bam, you know, yeah. a quick Google search and I can find the whole text document of the entire uh, book and I can print that out. So, right. So you get, um, you, you get married, things are plugging along. You have a few things on your mission, but what's the next step? When does the crisis hit during the marriage? I don't know. I think that there isn't, there isn't like a definitive uh, moment where like I could say, this is where the crisis happened. It was more like a progression. So yeah. Uh, reading through history of the church. Yeah. Things would come up and they didn't seem, they didn't seem to jive with what I was being being taught at church or what I was teaching as a missionary, really. So it would be like, you know, they would have meetings where they'd have the gift of tongues happen, but it was an evangelical style of gift of tongues. Right. You know, where as far as I could tell from, from the document, it looks like they're, they're rambling and it's okay. Cause there's a translator. Cause that's what the Bible says as long as there's a translator, but you know, I was taught that the gift of tongues was preaching the gospel in another language. So, you know, those kinds of things where they wouldn't, right. they wouldn't jive together what, was, what the early church was like versus what I was being taught to teach about the church and teach about the early church in terms of, you know, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and, you know, the early apostles, that kind of thing. And it just things were very different. And so when I, went, when I left the mission— I got to BYU-Idaho, and uh, being the studious person that I am, I uh, 
Went to the library. Went to the library. <laughs> oh, no. What are you doing? Yeah, and I still remember the section of the library, and they have a whole treasure trove. I'm sure that no other libraries like this in the world, except maybe BYU's provost and maybe BYU Hawaii. But, yeah, they have all these, you know, uh, church documents and meeting minutes and, meeting minutes and and journals and all these different books on church history. And yeah, I would just read through them. I can't remember when I started listening to Mormon stories, but somehow I got onto fair Mormon and it was one of those things where it's like, okay, let me, let me fact check with fair. And then we let, let me fact check fair with the documents like Wilford Woodruff's journal, whatever it is that they're citing and, you know, go back and forth like that. And, uh, Eventually, from FAIR, I found out about Mormon Think and kind of contrasted the two back and forth because apparently it looks like that they've gone back and forth with um, discussions. Arguments is probably a better word for it. Right. Uh, <clears throat> their points. But, yeah, that's over the course of BYU-Idaho. And then at the end of the semester, I realized I, I got to get out of BYU-Idaho because all this new information that I've been, been – learning is really taking a toll on me. Like it's, it was getting difficult to go to church and I knew that church attendance at BYU Idaho is required. Basically uh, ecclesiastical endorsement, the uh, participation in FHE and all those extracurricular church activities all required for me to go to school. And I realized that I might be heading down a path where I might be locking myself into a terrible situation. So I did transfer out of BYU-Idaho back to University of South Carolina. We call it USC here. <laughs> so if you hear us call it USC, that's <laughs> South Carolina. We're the original, 1801. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. And that, and that was, I don't know, June of 2013, right around there. Started out the semester, and we started dating right around then. And yeah. Did, did your family have any concerns about your transferring back so soon? Were you open with them about it? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I went I went back to BYU-Idaho. Well, I, I went to BYU-Idaho before the mission. I was excited. I enjoyed it. I still tell you, I tell everybody, I, it was great for me. I did enjoy it a lot. I made a lot of friends. Um and it was a good atmosphere to get introduced to college life and for mission prep. It really was. After the mission, I wasn't excited to go back to BYU Idaho. Right, right. It was like, man, I've been doing this for two years, and now I gotta go back and do this some more. I don't know. It's just, uh, it felt dragging. And so I think going into BYU Idaho the second time after the mission, uh, with that mentality, kind of set me up for having a more difficult time. Uh, I guess that's, you know, you you should probably be more positive when you go to, you know, school, especially across country like that. But uh, I was originally looking to get out, but as I progressed through the semester, I started realizing, yeah, I I really got to get out. Because plus, your future wife wasn't. There. I know. I mean, there was nobody there. It's like a desert. No girls out there. <laughs> so, at what point in the marriage did you? Maybe Rachel, you can ask this. At what point did Brett come back, come to you and say, 
there's some problems here. Did you know all along that his his belief or thoughts about the church were different than than your standard orthodoxy? No, I had no idea actually. Like even him t- saying he read the I don't even know if I I knew that he read the would you say history of the church? History of the church. I think I knew that. But anyway, um, yeah, no, we were, I think there was some sort of talk or something that was given about family home evening and, and that we needed, we needed to do better. We needed to do better. So I needed to have a talk with him. Buddy was six months old, I think. So that would have been, um, Winter of 2016, I think. Does that sound right? 16? I think that sounds mm-hmm. right. So 2016. So beginning of 2016, um, we were sitting in the, standing in the kitchen together, but he was in bed or something. And I just, cause I remember it vividly. And I was like, we, we need to do better. And it was just a lashing because I remember saying, you're the priesthood holder and you need to do better and you need to take the reins and you need to do better at, at, you know, getting us to do family home evening and saying family prayer because we've never been good at that at all. And But you need to do better. And then, like, I was hugging him or we were close enough to where I could hear, I could, I could literally hear his heart beating. Like, his heart rate was so fast. And that's when he said that, I don't even think, I think you just said that you had doubts about the church. I don't even think you said the church isn't true or anything like that. I think you just said doubts. Oh my gosh, my dad came out of me. I was so angry and we had just started having conversations about having a second child and it was just it was really bad. Like it got to the point um it got to the point where I was I basically said I don't think we need to try for another kid and then I stormed out of the house and I called our stake president. <laughs> So the stake president is uh, the stake president is basically like a second dad to me, and so I called the stake president and I told him what was happening, and he said, "Why don't you like go back inside, talk to Brett, and have him give me a call?" And so that started a biweekly, biweekly, yeah, a biweekly meeting with Brett and the stake president. Biweekly. Wow, that's a lot. Like, you need to do better, Brent. <clears throat> well, I think, yeah, it started about Sunday and then Wednesday, which was Institute Day, and uh, eventually became just once a week. And this only lasted for two and a half, three months. But, yeah, I would meet with the state president fairly a long time. Talk to him about it. And basically, by the end, he said, we're not going to. Well, he, he kind of said at the beginning, he's like, well, there's nothing I can do. Like we sat down and he's like, you know, Rachel told me about your situation. And I'm just here to tell you there's nothing I can do, but let's talk about it. <laughs> he was a very understanding guy. He's, he's a great person. I never, never thought anything less of him. I think maybe at the time it was a good thing for me to talk to him because I felt like there was nobody for me to talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried talking to my wife and she stormed out of the house. So that's not a safe space for me. So talking with the stake presidents was refreshing. It was nice to actually hear someone uh, listen to my concerns and not, and actually hear the concerns instead of 
deflecting or, or blocking it out so mm -hmm. I don't get the chance to express my concerns. So. And that's one thing, like, I think a lot of people need to understand about the faith crisis is that it, or when people leave the church, there was a, there was a, I was on the attack mode yesterday on Facebook. Katie, this is probably why you're not on Facebook, but I was in this LDS mom group and someone had asked about um, why people leave the church. And so, of course, you get people are lazy. They don't want to live the standards. They, they're too sensitive. They get offended. Satan's all up in them. And I, I was on the attack. I was just going off and on, but this is good. <laughs> this is a good insight into the faith crisis in that Brett tried, Brett tried for a long time. It's not like, it's not like he woke up one day and said, Nope, church isn't true. It, 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 it didn't happen like that. It was a slow burn, you know, and it, it, it wasn't, it's was like boiling the frog. You know, you can't put a frog into a boiling pot of water. You have to, you, you start out slow and you work your way up. And that's kind of how Brett's, Brett's crisis was. And so, you know, that, that's one thing for the believing spouse to remember as well is that it's super, it, it's, <laughs> It's good to know that it's not just about Satan. <laughs> it's not just about your spouse being lazy because for the most, for most people that end up going through a faith crisis, especially because of church history, it's, it starts out just by inquiries. And there's a lot of research that hours and hours. I mean, Alan, you, you did that hours and hours a day, just, just searching and reading and trying to understand and actually trying to, support your testimony that you've had your whole life and it just goes a different direction. And I think that's another thing, you know, we have to realize that everybody, everybody has their own journey and we can't blame them for it. You know, we can't blame them for it. And I, that took me a, a good long while <laughs> to understand. I mean, I, I was, I had kind of accepted that. Yeah. Satan had gotten a hold of Brett and that he needed to have this like, life shattering experience. Like I needed to get cancer or I needed to get in a really bad car accident and just knock some sense into him. I, I want to say that. Yeah. After I told her, <laughs> I told her that I doubted in the church and there was a period of time, probably a year, maybe 18 months after that point where we just wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk. And then it would explode into an argument just out of nowhere almost. And usually it's, it, it would build up in me. So then something she says or something would trigger it and yeah, it explode into an argument. And I remember some of those arguments where she was like, you know what you need? You need to have a car accident or you need to have this. And like, that's going to, that's going to show you, you know, God's out there watching you. And I'm like, no, this is not, this is not what I need to hear right now, Rachel. This is not helpful. So Rachel, we had to learn the hard way. Yeah, this, this was difficult. So Rachel, though, um, like Brett has the stake president. He's to meeting with every couple, couple times a week. And you have who? Like who? Who have you told anyone? For the longest time, no. I and I think this is a lot of a lot of people that go through this is is they feel like it's their husband or their wife's secret, right? Mm -hmm. It's their secret. You can't tell anybody. But then I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't take keep it to myself, and so. My mom is like my best friend, like we're like super tight and I never thought we would get here where we are. But 
my mom is like my best friend and she's been, she's been probably the best voice, um, that I've had through this. And, um, you know, she's been super supportive. I think I've said it multiple times, you know, I know we don't say the traditional marriage vows, but I mean, I kind of internalized them and accepted them myself. Um, so when, you know, mama would say, um, she would say it almost every time I talked to her, just remember for better or worse, for better or worse. And that would just, anytime we would get in one of those arguments and it was cool down time, somehow mama's voice was in the back of my head saying for better or worse, for better or worse. And I don't know. It's just that simple thing kind of just kept me going. So you you didn't have a parent that tried to pull you out. She didn't say like, Oh, you need to get out of that situation. He is no longer a Mama likes Brett more than me, okay? So no, she didn't say that. <laughs> um, it got a little more it got a little more difficult um when we talked to Brett's family. And so Brett didn't even know I was really even opening up to my mom really. And then one day um I decided that it was time that I talked to his mom and oh, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. So did you Um, tell Brett that you were going to talk to her? No, you just decided on your own to go talk to her. I I don't think so. I think I just decided to tell her. I didn't really even never even turned into a conversation. I just said, Brett doesn't believe the church is true. It was just kind of a shutdown. And that, that kind of hurt me. She's kind of opened up a little bit more in, in recent days and recent weeks, I guess, and months. But I think I told her it was probably 2017 or so. So it was several months after he had told me, but I was just sick of keeping it to myself. Yeah. Plus Brett started talking about not going to church. So I was like, eh, well, at some point they're going to have to know. Figure it out. Um, and so, but, I think she had to go through her own grieving process. And I think that's something that, and once again, as, as going through a faith crisis and in a mixed faith marriage, you have to understand that your family, you have gone through the grieving process and may still be in a grieving process, but your parents and your siblings and your friends and those people that really care about you, they may lash out. Like I lashed out at Brett. I love him more than anything else, but I lashed out. Now we didn't have any lash outs experiences like that for many other family members, but silent treatment did happen. Um, especially in regards to church things and stuff like that. I think you kind of feel like if someone tells you something like, Oh, you know, he doesn't believe in the church. You instantly think you can't talk about it when you're around them, which may have been the case back then. Maybe we wouldn't want to talk about it. Now we're like, yeah, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back then it was, it was really difficult for me to kind of be shut down by my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her to death. She's a great, she's, she was a great Nana and a great, a great member of the church and a great, um, you know, mother figure. But that was really hard for me to, to, to tell her and then kind of be shut down because remember I, I'd been talking to my mom and my mom wasn't as shut down. She was actually pretty open to hearing ex- everything that we were going through, why she was really curious as to why Brett was thinking this way. And so, we really got to delve into some of those things. And I, Brett's mom actually gave me reasons for faith, a reason for faith, a reason for faith. I don't know if you've read that book. By Brian Hales, his wife. Yeah, the wife. I can't remember her. 
Laura. Laura. Yeah. Yeah. So we read, so I, that was actually part of the arguments that we would have. We would, I would open up to a chapter and I would say, let's talk about this. Oh man, that was not a good idea. Because <laughs> I was like firm and what I would read that book. I would read the chapter of about polygamy or first visions or anything like that. I would read a chapter and I'd be firm in what I believed. And then I'd take it to him and he would just like shut it down. And he'd be like, no, that's actually not the full story here. And so it just, it was just a battle after battle after battle. Um, so there would be times where we just wouldn't talk about it. Like Brett said, and then there'd be a time where we would sit down usually on a Sunday night at like 11 o'clock at night when he had to wake up at six o'clock and the conversation would go into like two o'clock in the morning. If I have any advice for you mixed faithers out there, (laughs) do not have a serious conversation pillow talk about church history. Just don't have pillow talk about church history, especially in the beginning, because it just, it, you go to bed on a sour note, you wake up on a sour note, especially if it's on a Sunday night, just don't do it because you're going to go into the week just feeling like crap. And so that's, I mean, that was one thing that we had to learn pretty quickly. Yeah. Brett, uh, when did you stop church attendance or are you still going? Well, okay. So (laughs) Yeah, it would be January this year. Um, I guess, you know, Alan, you're trying to attend every week right now, which I think that you may have, you're further along in the faith development process to where you can attend church again and you don't feel probably the same pain that you felt initially. (laughs) Oh, really? I'm I'm literally shaking my head. Yeah, um, You know, no, I... We would refer the listener to the back to church episode, but um, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that you're right about that. I, it was very difficult. Um, I am still going. We've decided right now where we're at and then we'll go back to you, Brett, but that right now where we're at, I'm, I am doing, or sorry, the family, let me start over. Sorry. been a long day. Um, where we're at now is we've decided whatever we do on Sunday, we're going to do it as a family. And that may not work in the long term, but for now it's okay. And so um, I am going to the first hour and then I'm, I'm heading out after that, but I don't know how sustainable that's going to be. We'll see. Back to you, Brett. Yeah. For all those that are going through faith transitions, faith crisis, it's kind of good therapeutic to hear that you're not alone on this. So yeah, church meetings, um, for a while, I, I had two church callings um, when we were first when we first moved into our current ward. Financial clerk. Yeah, I was financial clerk. With the My dad being bishop, he called me as financial clerk, and then uh, he also called me as um, no, as priest is a priest. Uh, I, I was I, I would teach the priest corn, whichever that is. Priest advisor. Yeah. yeah. Advisor. Yeah, so I was priest quorum advisor, and I teach them. Um, and I was still in college at the time in twenty, uh, late twenty sixteen or no, early twenty sixteen. Seventeen, probably. Yeah. Oh no, you. you no, it's twenty sixteen. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, it's been a long day. But yeah, at <laughs> at some point, I felt like I couldn't prepare these lessons. I would read through the. Um, curriculum the manual and i would be like i i can't 
it's difficult for me to pick and choose which principles I want to teach. And it's becoming even more difficult because like, I felt like I didn't have a safe place at my house to uh, bring up those concerns and, you know, have some dialogue in term, some interchange as to, you know, how am I going to teach these lessons? Anyway, long and short of it, I felt like I couldn't uh, teach these priests and feel authentic in it. So I asked my dad, I had a, Call, call him in and do the whole formal meeting in, in the bishop's office and sit down and say, I, I need to be released from this calling, which I could tell was difficult. And he kind of even choked up when he uh, read that at the pulpit. I don't know if you remember that. But yeah, when he uh, released me up at the pulpit, I could tell he was a little choked up from that. I was just blind because I didn't realize. I, I, yeah, at the time, this this was our silent era. So it was, uh, no, like when you were yeah. first called. So I remember taking a picture and posting it on Instagram and talking about how, like I was pregnant with buddy. So our first and how awesome of an example you were going to be, you were sitting in, in sacrament meeting, reading your scriptures, preparing your lesson to teach to the teenagers. And I was just so like, I was just so proud of you for doing that. And now that I hear this too, I'm like, man, Okay. I mean, I was just this really... was the internal battle that I was having, but um. And I did. Back. I mean, I, there's a there's a hint of me that feels fooled, you know. Like I was, I was fooled. I didn't know. I didn't know anything before we got married. I I spilled everything, every little sin that I ever committed as a debaucherous teenager. Anything you can think of, I told Brett before we got married, and this. Big, huge thing he never told me. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Well, well, I do have to say, when we got married, I wasn't non-believing. I was at the beginning of a faith crisis, I would say. It's a progression for me. It wasn't like a day I believed and the next day I didn't. It was a progression. So it's just, you know, and uh, one thought I had when uh, we were dating and one of the reasons why I thought that she could be my wife was I knew she was going to be strong in the church. And I knew that I was beginning to waver and I was like, she's going to keep me in line in the church. You so, need to do better, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I, was, I was deliberately making actions knowing that, yeah, I had something going on, but you know, I'm a Mormon. I believe this. I'm, I've served a two-year mission. This is my church, and this is what this is how I'm going to live my life. And those were the de- decisions I were making. And yeah, it was uh, it was a progression. So before we got married, you know, I was fully believing. I just had some questions. After we got married, it just progressed further and further until, at one point, I couldn't sustain it anymore, and I couldn't keep these callings. One huge benefit of the faith crisis has been communication. I actually almost broke up with Brett while we were dating because he wouldn't talk to me. I wanted him to flip and talk to me and he just wouldn't talk to me. So, I mean, I'm a talker, obviously. (laughs) And so I want to be talked to as well. And it just never happened. I had a really good friend convince me otherwise and to keep dating him. I'm glad she told, she did that, but it was, I don't, our first, what, four, five years of marriage, and we're only on our, we're be six years in December. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a long time before we really learned how to communicate, and we're still learning, but, 
you know, the faith crisis specifically has been, has brought the gift of communication into our marriage. Like that's something that, I mean, we were good. We, we really get along really good together, but the communication was never really where it needed to be to really share everything that's going on and being a true partner in a marriage, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, if I could say anything, yeah, I mean, the faith crisis definitely brought the gift of communication into our marriage. Brett, how about you? What, what uh, benefits have you seen in your marriage from where you are now? You can't say communication. You took it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say something like that. (laughs) Well, I think the ability to choose for myself, I guess we didn't get on the, the topic of, uh, you know, me deciding to stop attending. Yeah. So the, I can tie that into this. Sure. Um, I stopped attending church basically at the beginning of this year. So beginning of 2019. And uh, yeah, it was one of those where I told her beforehand, you know, I, I have to do this for my mental health. Church was becoming too brutal for me. And it's just, I needed to recover from it. It didn't and go over so, well. And no, it didn't go well. And it was one of those where I just had to make a hard line stance and say, no, I'm not attending. And it was very painful for both of us. But I could tell for Rachel, it was taking a toll on her. I was so mad. With, with both with both boys, they're under, at the time, under three and under. And it's like, they're rambunctious. Yes, my family's there, but my dad's bishop, so he's up on the stand. My mom, you know, she's got my brother and sister with their kids. So it's all lost in these kids going nuts, going absolute bonkers in sacrament meeting. Anyway, yeah, I could, I could tell when she would get home from, from sacrament meeting it was, uh, or from church, it was taking a toll on her. And that led to my own church. Church wasn't being uplifting to her. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that too is, you know, over the course of a couple months where she'd just come back and she'd have a terrible attitude and it's, you know, it's my it's dad not, would come out easy. again. It's not. And like, I felt like I was partial, partially to blame for that because I wasn't there to help her. But is that thing of, you know, what do I prioritize right now? Do I prioritize, you know, my mental health or do I prioritize Rachel's experience at church and possibly her mental health? Anyway, yeah, for that first little bit, I took a hard line stance, but uh, recently, I've been more fluid with church attendance. Um, if I see that, if I foresee that she's ha- going to have a difficult week, like a lesson that she's going to teach or something that she needs to prepare for, I'll attend. I attended last week. So, and I, and the purpose of me attending is to help with the boys. Except he was but, on his phone half the time. Well, <laughs> I can relate. That was a thing. <laughs> That was a failed attempt last week, but I'll be sure. But yeah, one one of the benefits I think that 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 has come out of this faith crisis is the ability uh, for me to make my own decisions and not feel like I'm jeopardizing our marriage over it. So Mm -hmm. she's letting me do things that uh, there's no way she would ever allow beforehand. So I'll well, dr- I'll drink alcohol occasionally. Um, I attend church when I decide. And that's a big burden lifted off of me because it gives me 
the power to, to make my own decisions. And it's not like I'm trying to distance myself from uh, the kids or the church or wife or anything like that. It's just I'm an adult and I'm able to make these decisions and not fear some sort of backlash from them. Um, Rachel, because Brett mentioned it, so I'm going to bring it up. Um, how do you come to terms with like the drinking? Okay. So, oh, I knew what I was going to say. I knew what I was going to say. I knew what I was going to say. Okay. So Alan, you posted something when we first started the Facebook group. I remember Cameron was specifically talking to me back and forth on the post. I think you asked, you were going to have an alcohol post or an alcohol um, podcast yep. episode and it was just a chain and I commented on it and I was like, Nope, I could never do it. Nope. Not with my history. Nope. Not going to do it. Never, 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 never. But one thing about me is I have a rebellious spirit. That's kind of <laughs> who I am and I can kind of tame it every now and then. Um, but I've always kind of done what I've wanted to do. Like I, if I feel a certain way, I'm going to tell people if I feel a certain way, I'm going to talk about it. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Brett, however, has always been one, okay, the church tells me I need to do this this way, and this is how I'm going to do it. If this is the way that my parents tell me I have to do it this way, this is the way I'm going to do it. Me, I was complete opposite. I would say, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my own way. And so Brett kind of, it's kind of weird that he had the faith crisis and not me. Um, (laughs) But but one thing that I've, as I've learned to, nuance myself and nuance not just the belief in the church but just my my own way of living and thinking was dude just think for yourself if you want to do something just tell me and just just give me the courtesy to tell me before you do something but just just talk to me about it if you want to do something do it if you want to go skydiving do it if you want to jump off a building just make sure you have a parachute you know just tell me what you want to do and so that kind of led I mean it's crazy. I think that post was back in February about the alcohol. And within a few weeks of that, I went to Costco and she was the one, <laughs> she was the one pushing me to drink alcohol. So Alan, you, you, you're the one to blame on this. <laughs> all your fault. It's all your Cameron fault. Cameron is the one to blame. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's Alan's brother, by the way. Cameron's the one to blame for me too. It's all your fault. No, for, but no, it, I think it just kind of was my own paradigm shift of accepting, look, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to do what I'm going to do and not drink alcohol, if I can trust Brett that he's going to be responsible, if he's going to be an adult about it and he's going just like coffee drinking or shopping on Sunday, he's going to be responsible. I don't know how shopping on Sunday would be irresponsible, but anyway, um, if you're shopping, you go over budget. Yeah. You could go to Costco and we all know what happens at Costco. Um, no, but it's just, you, it's important to remember who your spouse is. It's important to remember that, they deserve to be an adult just as much as you do. They deserve to make their own choices just as much as you do, even though those choices are not what you would want them to do. And I know sometimes that can lead to divorce. Sometimes these choices can lead down, lead someone down a really raw, really bad path. I, I, I can totally see how alcohol, someone starting to drink alcohol, it can turn into something else. But you just have to trust your spouse. If you don't have trust in your marriage, what's your marriage? And if you can trust that they will be responsible, 
you know, one thing that's worked for us is that he just tell me if he's going to drink, if he's going to, you know, he, he hasn't gone out with friends or anything like that, you know, but you know, he'll, he'll, he's got, we're actually in our room right now. He's got a mini fridge on the bedside table. And so, <laughs> That's his bedside table is the mini fridge. But so it used to be filled with Blenheim's ginger ale. Now it's got some other drinks in there. Um, but no, I think the biggest thing is to just respect your spouse. And, and when I say respect, just respect their choices. And if it leads them down a wrong path, at least you're, you're confident and comfortable in yourself to know that you allow them to be free just as they're allowing you to be free. If you want, if you want to be able to live a life in the church and maybe, maybe even bring your kids along with you, you need to have an open line of communication and trust your spouse along the way. And that goes with alcohol. That goes with garments. That goes with church attendance. That's everything. And it's hard. I mean, and I've tried to get it across to him just because I have a bad Sunday at church because you're not there. It's not because you're not there that I had a bad Sunday. You know, it's, it's, I don't like going to church without him. I don't like, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of starting to lean where y'all are. Like if, if, if we're going to do something on Sunday, we're going to do it as a family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do a lot, we do a lot of Disney trips (laughs) and they just happen to be over the weekend. Um, That kind of led into my own, that this whole existential crisis, maybe even, faith crisis for me. Like I just got to the point where I just, I literally crumbled in the hallways of the church. I dropped everything one Sunday. This was a few months ago. I dropped everything on the floor. I thought someone would come and help me. Nobody families would just walk by me. And I was just, I was just done. I was just done. I was like, I don't even know if I want to live anymore. This is just stupid. I don't want to live like this anymore. And finally, some a, a guy that you wouldn't expect, he, he looked like a, a, a biker. He's got a long braid, and he comes up, and he helps me pick everything up, and he walks me to the car just as I was about to just, just lay on the floor and just say, Lord, take me. This guy walks up and helps me with all of my stuff, t- walks me to the car. It was just that, – that was a really cool experience, but that was kind of the start of my own kind of where do I fit within the church now that we're not – we don't fit the mold. We don't fit the mold anymore. Yeah. We don't fit the mold anymore. And we know there's going to be whispers and we know there's going to be talks. Just a, couple, a few weeks ago, we came out on Facebook. We posted our Facebook post and um, that was huge. And we had a lot of good reaction from it. But I can, you know, there's, you can always tell at church, you know, the people that saw it, the people that read it, they, they, I guess I've gotten more sympathy than anything. And I don't really want sympathy, but that's kind of what I've gotten. Um, but more with my, my crisis that I had, I just didn't know where I fit in anymore. Like uh, for one, okay. A lot of stuff happened all at once. So I was teaching a certain primary class. They switched the primary class on me. And that class was like, crucial for me during his like Brett's crisis like I I needed that class they were it was a seven eight year old so they were a little more mature and they were preparing for baptism then I had them after baptism it was just so great to have and I got that taken away from me then our ward boundaries changed and even like I've talked to like three people at church and all of those all of those people went to the other ward Brett's dad got released as bishop it was just so much happening all at once and I was like 
we just need annual passes to Disney World and just get away. (laughs) 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 So that's what I did. So, Rachel, can I ask you a question? I'm imagining a more orthodox believing spouse who is listening to this podcast and saying, I don't want to introduce any nuance to my belief. Like, I don't want, I, I see Katie as a little more nuanced. I see Rachel is expressing that, that her beliefs have changed. I love my beliefs. So if, could you talk to that person? The person that's at the beginning of this, looking at their spouse saying, I don't know if we should do this. I've said it a few times. Our state president is kind of like a a second dad to me. And a few months after Brett went and talked to him, I, it was up, my temple recommend was up for renewal. So I needed to talk to him anyway. And he asked me, he said, what are you going to do? I didn't know what he meant by the question. I didn't, I, I didn't ask him what he meant but I quickly responded, well, I'm going to stay. Like I had no, no idea if that's what he meant, like by the question, but that question really stuck with me. I didn't know what mixed faith marriage was at the time. I didn't know that phrase. And so when I was, I'm a Googler, I'm a researcher. I like to find things out. So I couldn't find that phrase mixed faith marriage. I found faith crisis. I found all these things, but I could not find mixed faith marriage. And, but one thing I did find, I found this, this blog or something and she had ended up leaving that her husband left the church and um, she ended up leaving. But one thing she did say was you have to decide today whether you're going to stay and leave. So in the beginning, that's the first question you ask yourself as the believing spouse, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Things are going to change. Things are going to change. You're going to have to accept change. And one thing we know as members of the church is change is really hard for us. When we move to two hours, when we, when we, when we, you know, have missionaries go out at younger ages, you know, they're good things. But the first, the first interaction with that or the first reaction to that is to push back and say, I I just don't like it. I don't like it. And we murmur and we rumor and we all this stuff about a change, but you're sitting in the beginning of this and you have to look in the mirror. I had to look in the mirror a lot. You have to look in the mirror and say, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay? Or are you going to leave? If you decide to stay, find the tools you need to stay. If you're going to leave, find the tools you need to leave. I, I know that there are some mixed faith marriages out there that don't work and that are toxic. There's other things going on in the marriage. And I totally accept that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want that for us. We're not toxic. We've, <laughs> we're really great with each other. We get along great. We're friends. We were friends first. And even though it was only three months, (laughs) you have to boil it back down to the basics. And I honestly, I love going through the traditional marriage vows for better or worse for sickness and in health, go through those in your head and see if it works for you. And if it works for you, like I said, find the tools you need to stay. And my nuance, my nuance started when honestly, my, I think the, the, crux of it started with President Nelson's most recent talk about um, the eternities and <laughs> I'm getting emotional. Um, that really, really crushed, crushed. I mean, I'd already come up with like this view of eternity with Brett still by my side 
and then this talk comes out and it's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen that, you know, we're going to still hear things at church. We're going to still hear things in conference and we're going to still hear these things and change is still going to happen in the church and change is still going to happen in your marriage. And so when that talk happened, that was that, that really hurt. It really hurt because I had already come up with this determination of, of how eternity was going to be for us. And then I kind of get shut down, you know, and I don't like getting shut down. I like knowing what I'm going to know and I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And if nobody believes me, well, I, I'm still going to believe it and don't shut me down. Just keep your opinions to yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but you know, to the person that's in the beginning of this, and I'm actually a member of the believing spouses group on Facebook and I've, kind of realized that I don't necessarily fit in too good, but it does give me some, some insight into that Orthodox believer that stays the Orthodox believer, because there are many mixed faith marriages out there that the Orthodox believer stays pretty Orthodox. I don't, I don't get it. We even have a friend at church that they're in that same situation and they just don't talk about religion. Um, and that, there are so many different solutions. And if that, if the toolbox that you need says that you're going to stay in a full believing way and you're just going to respect your spouse for what they believe, then go for it. If that's in your toolbox, find, find ways to support that. Find ways that makes it work for you and your spouse. But for us, I don't know. I, I once again, I have a rebellious spirit. So I'm, I've kind of, I'm, 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 I'm sticking up for Brett a lot. And so when I, when I saw that post on the LDS mom group about why people leave, I kind of felt the need to like go in and like explain what a faith crisis was and all this stuff. The comments got turned off right after I posted our Facebook coming out post. And I, I put the whole thing on that post. And I think a lot of, I got, I got a few private messages on it too. So I think it definitely touched some people that maybe didn't know about what a faith crisis was. And turns out the person who posted it, her, her husband is kind of starting to question as well. And so it was kind of like, you're, you're sitting here attacking her husband who are may maybe her husband, someone who may be her husband later. And it's, it's causing, I'm sure she was super emotional after seeing all the comments and negativity on the post. Um, but that's why I reached out and I said, you know, friend request me and message me and, and, and let's just, let's just feel it out, you know, along the yeah. way. And so, yeah, I think the biggest thing for the Orthodox believer is just find a toolbox that works for you. My toolbox is not your toolbox. Katie and Alan, y'all's toolbox may not be the same as Brett and I's toolbox, but you have to find ways, whether it's counseling, podcasts, music, whatever it is, find ways that can help you bond as a couple. And if you want to stay in your beliefs, stay in your beliefs, but respect your husband for the beliefs that he has as well. It's good. Or wife, if the wife is or the wife. wife. Yeah, or, or wife. wife. I know we're both in the same situation, so it's easy to say that. Katie had a, um, were you no. leaning in to say something? Uh, no, you weren't. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that that's a really mature way to put it because um, people ask me all the time, like, oh, are you going to stay in? Are you going to stay out? Well, I mean, I you just have to be flexible, you know, and, and whatever whatever you decide to do with your spouse. So I like the idea of having your own toolbox. Brett, do you have anything else that you would like to say that's been on your mind that you'd like to tell the listeners? Well, Rachel kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, as from the perspective of the one going through the faith crisis, 
you have to communicate with your spouse. Uh, I really dropped the ball on that one. And, and my story isn't exactly the best example of uh, having that that correct line of communication with your spouse. So, you know, bottling it up inside, doing the research, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to figure this out and when I'm just going to move on. Go ahead and start it from the get-go. If you're starting to have doubts, if you're starting to have, it may just be questions at the time. Talk to your spouse about what you're learning. It may be difficult at the beginning. I know when we first started actually having this open line of communication, it was physically difficult for us to, for me anyway, to talk to her about it. And she was the one coming up to me. I was excited. (laughs) She was the one coming up to me saying, hey, I want to talk about John DeLynn. And I'm like, I never thought that those words would ever come out of your mouth. (laughs) Right. How can I talk to you about this when I thought that I had to keep, you know, this whole podcast thing secret? Mm. Anyway, it's good. I think it's crucial for you to go ahead and open up that line of communication. I think that that I hear that on uh, practically any mixed faith marriage group, any podcasts on that. Uh, opening up that communication, it is crucial. It relieves a lot of stress. Maybe maybe at the time, uh, it'll be difficult. Like I said, our first little bit was difficult. Oh, and when you go into it, don't go into it thinking I'm going to convince my spouse of one way or another. No, it's trying to create a channel of communication, not a channel of debate. Mm, yeah. One over, pulling the wool over someone's eyes, nothing like that. Just having this open communication where you can be authentic. Avoid the can, words, um, avoid the words cult and <laughs> guided yeah. and uh, corrupt. Well, avoid those words. No, but one tip for the, the person doubting. Don't, it's okay to be scared. It really is. It's okay to be scared before you go to your spouse. It's okay. But one thing you've got to try to get out of your head is that you're pres- don't prescribe how they're going to feel. Brett held my first reaction where I stormed out of the house. He held that against me for years. And it took him a long time to gain that trust back to where he wasn't prescribing how I was feeling. And he's still, we're both still working on it, but try not to prescribe how your spouse is going to feel or react when someone said, I was watching, I think it was a Disney movie or something, but someone said, you know, you can't, you can't affect how someone reacts to what you say, but if it's truthful and it's from your heart that you can, you can go to bed at night, feeling at least a little bit more confident that you spoke from the heart. Your spouse may have stormed out of the house and yelled at you and threw stuff. But just remember that that's not always how they're going to stay. And we have to allow people reaction just like, you know, just like, so you as the non-believer or the doubter, you don't want your spouse to have, you know, it, (laughs) Actually, as the believer, if if your spouse tells you something, you don't, or you want to tell your spouse something about church. Let's say that if you want to tell your spouse about a spiritual experience you had at church or at the temple or something, you don't want them to throw a chair at you. You don't want them to get mad because you're sharing this. So let's let your spouse be open with how they feel, at least. Maybe not going into topics about church history and things like that right off the bat, but just let them be open. Let them be be a safe space. 
be a safe. I wasn't that safe space for Brett for a long, long time. Yeah. Give it time. Give it time. One, one piece of feedback we got from our last episode, which was a musical episode was a comment that I made on it gets better and things do get easier. Um, allow yourself the emotions kind of die down. You can get into other topics later. You can try certain things and if it doesn't work, wait some time and try it again. Uh, that's, that's a really important thing to learn. So thank you for, uh, for mentioning that. And, Brad and Rachel, thanks for coming on Marriage in a Tightrope. Hopefully it went how you hoped it would go. Uh, It was was pretty disorganized. (laughs) That is exactly how it should be. Well, thank you very much uh, again for joining. And thank you all for listening to Marriage in a Tightrope. Uh, If you would like to reach out to us, if you have any comments, we'll forward them on to Brett and Rachel as well. You can email us at marriageinatightrope at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group if you're on Facebook by the same title, Marriage in a Tightrope. And Katie runs our Instagram account, so you can message us on Instagram or follow us on Instagram. Yeah. It's all good times. All right. Thanks so much again, and we will see you next time on Marriage in a Tightrope. We're going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave. Cause if change is what you need You can change right next to me When you're high, I'll take the lows You can ebb and I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go Sweet.